in November 2019, the Holy Spirit, who speaks usually in a very gentle voice, spoke to me in a very gentle voice and said, read the Old Testament. It was spoken in the form of a thought as the Holy Spirit almost always speaks to me in the form of a thought that comes into my mind. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it fits the wisdom of God, which is usually pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated, not complicated, easy to do, not terribly expensive. When I heard, read the Old Testament, I was aware of the thought, but I didn't do anything. The next day, the thought came to my mind, read the Old Testament. That day, I thought, I really like the Old Testament. That would be good to read the Old Testament, but I didn't do anything. The third day, the thought came, read the Old Testament. That day, I stopped what I was doing and just turned to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and began reading. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. When we take that first step, often there's a second step. After I read for a few moments, I felt I had an exhortation, and I decided to give it to our small church group in writing. I did do that, and then the thought was there, why don't you share it with the people on the blog? Jesus Ministries Exhortation is the name of our blog, so I did that. Then the thought was there, you could write this into a book which you publish on Amazon. And I thought, yes, I could write it into a book. I think I'll do that. So I began a new series of books called God in His Image. I've so often heard people say things like, my God would never do that. And I know they don't have any idea what God would do according to the Bible. How do we know what God might do? One way is we read the Old Testament and we very clearly see the working of God in the Old Testament. So I started writing a book on Amazon and before I got very far with this book, I realized this was not going to be one book, but was going to be volumes of books on the Old Testament examples. These Old Testament examples are enormously valuable for us. Many people in the churches overlook the Old Testament. It can be a little complicated from time to time, but it's so exciting. I don't know any TV show that can equal the things that we read in the Old Testament. And it's very informative for us today. Certainly, we do not go by the law of Moses where they sacrificed animals for sin. Jesus is our sacrifice for sin. But there are still many examples in the Old Testament which show us the working of God and show us how important it is to do all of the details of the instructions that we receive from God. It also shows us the detail that God works under and how enormously important detail is in following God. I want to share with you today two examples from the Old Testament. David decided to move the Ark of God to Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, And again David 
gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Belay of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of God played before the ark, played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on coronets, and on cymbals. And they came to Nashon's threshing floor. Yuza put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and God smote him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. That's very shocking. It shows us God's ways are not our ways. Our mind can hardly imagine such a thing as this happening. But it happened. It looks like Yusa did a good thing because he put his hand on the ark of God to stabilize it because the oxen stumbled. But God was angry at him for doing this, and he killed him. God killed him. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Yuza, and he called the name of the place Perayuza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall I move the ark of the Lord to me? How can I move it to Jerusalem when this happened? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedidim, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. As long as the ark was there, this man was blessed. What happened? Why would God kill Yusa? I, for years, just couldn't understand this at all. Recently, I read the answer in the book of Chronicles. God, uh, David decided again to go get the ark of God and move it to Jerusalem. First Chronicles 15, verse 1. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Now David's on the right track in moving the ark of God because the Levites were appointed by God to deal with things of God, to minister unto God. They were the ones appointed to handle the ark of God. And it says, For them the Levites hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Verse 3, And David carried all, gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron 
and the Levites. Verse 11, And David called for Zadok and Abathar, the priest, and for the Levites, and said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13, and here's the answer of why he killed Uzzah. For because ye did it not at first, in other words, the Levites didn't move it the first time, and because it wasn't moved by the Levites, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. See how detailed God is? It matters. It matters if we follow every detail of the word of God. The devil will tell us, oh, that's a small thing. You don't need to do that concerning a scripture. By this example, we can see how very seriously God takes the instructions that he gives to us through the New Testament Bible. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God. They didn't put it on a cart this time. They did what God told them to do concerning the ark of God. The children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. They had staves that went in both sides of the ark of God. And the children, I don't know whether it was two or four that moved it, but on either side of the ark of God, there were Levites, and they put those rods on their shoulders, and they moved the ark of God this way because this is how God told Moses to move the ark of God. It all reminds me of how detailed the ministries are in the New Testament church. Ephesians chapter 4. After Jesus arose, after he was crucified and resurrected, he gave the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. That's what Jesus gave to the church to be ministers in the New Testament church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Through the decades, various human beings came along and said, well, there aren't any apostles today. Paul was the last apostle. So we don't have apostles. We only have, really, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we don't have prophets. So we don't have anything but evangelists, pastors, teachers. The Church of Christ even eliminated evangelists, pastors, teachers, and calls their ministers ministers completely eliminating apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I attended a little Church of Christ gathering a few years ago, a Sunday school class. I meant, I said something to the pastor, and I called him pastor, and he stopped me. He said, no, I'm not called a pastor. And I said, you're not? Well, what are you called? And he said, I'm called a minister. And then I remembered the Church of Christ doctrine that they make it out to be like a pastor is something really evil to call a minister. I attended a Church of Christ college as a young person. I was terrified of the word pastor. At the college I attended, one of the cellists in our orchestra went to SMU in the summers to take 
cello lessons from Lev Aronson. I just thought she had done something horrible. And somehow the word pastor came up, and I thought, oh, that's awful. Because that's what I'd been taught in the Church of Christ. Some of these church doctrines are extremely peculiar, far afield from what is actually written in the New Testament Bible. Later, I saw Ephesians 4 and realized there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the work of the ministry. In the Old Testament, there were priests. In the New Testament, there are not priests. It's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It does matter on detail. In the New Testament, a bishop and elder are used interchangeably. In the Catholic Church, they have bishops who've never married. In the New Testament, it says the bishop must be the husband of one wife and have faithful children. For if he doesn't know how to take care of the, his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? The Catholics just arbitrarily changed all that. They made a rule where ministers can't marry. In the New Testament Bible, ministers have the right to marry. Paul did not marry, but Peter did. I was telling this one time to um, my contractor who had been raised Catholic. We were having dinner together, and my contractor mentioned something about he was very upset about the child abuse in the Catholic Church. And I said to him, well, if they would let their ministers marry, they wouldn't have all the homosexual child abuse type things going on. And he said, ooh, I don't know about that. So I just got up from the table and went and got a Bible and read to him the passage of Scripture telling about Jesus visiting Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And Jesus healed her. Peter had a mother-in-law. And my contractor just kind of sank lower when I read that to him. I had no idea why. I don't know anything about Catholic doctrine. I had no idea what they really thought. Later, Pam Paget, who was raised Catholic, just roared when she found out what I had done and I, I was bewildered well why is this funny and she said because the Catholic Church teaches that Peter founded the Catholic Church <laughs> poor Peter <laughs> they just that's awful to think of Peter in that context anyway when I talked to my contractor I showed him the passage of scripture about Peter having a mother-in-law. I further told him that Peter said he was an elder in the church, that elders, bishops in the church, according to the Bible, the New Testament, the elders and bishops have to have had be the husband of one wife. They have to have multiple children who show themselves to be faithful. He just got lower in the seat as I talked. He just slumped down. It was like he was sinking well, he had been raised Catholic who taught that Peter founded the Catholic Church and they had the rule that ministers couldn't even marry. He had no idea Peter had been married and had children. Well, things get pretty bad. They get pretty bad in the churches. They're so far from the Bible. The Bible is the only rule book the New Testament church has to go by. So the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves as Moses commanded by the word of the Lord. And there was no problem this time in moving the ark of God. Here's another extremely graphic illustration. God 
ordained that Saul be king of Israel. The people demanded that they have a king, and God let them have a king. Up until that point, he had had judges that ruled over the people. But because they wanted a king, he let them have a king. But he had the prophet Samuel tell them what the king would do. He said, the king will take part of your lands and grains. He will also take your sons to be in his armies. He will take your daughters and put them in confectionaries so that they can bake and do cooking. But they still demanded they have a king. So God gave them Saul as king. Samuel anointed Saul, and Saul was king of Israel, the first king that Israel had. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Canaanites, this Canaanites were, by the way, the father-in-law of Moses was a Canaanite. Saul said to the Canaanites, go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness unto all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites that's over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, what did God God tell Saul by the prophet Samuel? What did he say to him? Did he tell him to take, take the king of the Amalekites alive and bring him back to Jerusalem? No, he didn't. He said, destroy him. But Saul didn't do that. That one point he didn't do. He did utterly destroy all the people with the edge of the sword, but he kept the king alive. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and the best of the oxen, and the best of the fatlings, and the best of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. See how he disobeyed God? God told him to destroy all the animals of the Amalekites, and he wouldn't do it. He kept the best ones and brought the best ones back, along with the king of the Amalekites. 1 Chronicles 15, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me, says God, that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Saul returns and comes to Samuel after this assignment. And Saul said to Samuel, 
Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He didn't. He didn't perform the commandment of the Lord. He kept the king alive. He kept the best of the animals alive. God said, destroy all the people and the animals. And Saul didn't do that. And yet he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. God has already told Samuel the prophet what Saul has done. And Samuel said to Saul, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said he has done the commandment of the Lord. Samuel says, Then why am I hearing the sound of the sheep and the oxen if you've killed them all? So Saul's going to make a bunch of excuses for this. First, he's going to blame the people. He said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. This is not what God told him to do. But he presents it as if they've done a good work, because now we'll sacrifice to the Lord our God. And the rest we've utterly destroyed, says Saul. Then Samuel says unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And Saul said, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, I have people do this all the time. They argue with me. Oh, you just don't understand. When I deliver a message of a correction to them, oh, you just don't understand. Let me explain it to you, they say to me. Oh. So Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He spared Agag, the king. But the people took of the spoil. He's going to blame the people. The people took of the spoil. He's in charge. The head of the things in charge. He is the one to be blamed when something does not go right. Saul says, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. They kept it for to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Then Samuel says to Saul, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he, God, also rejected thee from being king. And Saul says unto Samuel, I have sinned, For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people. He is now saying, I feared the people above fearing God. Oh, this is bad. It ends up that God removes the Holy Spirit from Saul and gives the Holy Spirit to David. 
And God brings an evil spirit from the Lord to Saul to torment Saul. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord. Samuel killed Agag. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house, to Gibeah. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. 1 Samuel 16 And the Lord said to Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn, thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. That was going to be David. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. One by one, Jesse's sons passed in front of Samuel. And God would say, this is not he. This is not he. This is not he. Finally, all six sons had passed before Samuel the prophet. And none of them were the one God had chosen. So Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all of your sons? Do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, Yes, I have one, but he's just a youth. He is tending the sheep. Saul said, Samuel said, We will not eat at the feast until you get that son here. So he brought David. And God says, This is he, anoint him. So Samuel, in front of all his brothers, anointed David to be king over Israel. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Verse 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. That's exactly what this scripture says. An evil spirit from the Lord troubled Saul. God said, I create good and I create evil. Everything is done for the purpose of God. He made his instruments to destroy. When it was pronounced that a person would be destroyed for the evil that they did, God had a way to handle that. And they were destroyed. This is the real God. God is not some type of grandfather Santa Claus. He is a God of justice. He is a God of a righteousness which we sometimes are even unable to perceive. But we can trust in every judgment of God. There is a place in the book of Revelation where God had brought many, many plagues upon the earth, which will come in the last days before the earth is destroyed. And the angels of God cried out and said, Thou art holy, and thy judgments are holy, because these people 
killed the prophets. And they are worthy of having blood to drink. At one point, God turned waters to blood. The angels saw the righteousness of God. I have often advised our little church group, rejoice in the judgments of God, for they're righteous. Put yourself on the side of God. His judgments are righteous judgments when he kills all the people. There is one story in the Bible where God sent one angel to kill 185,000 men in an army that was fighting against Israel. 185,000 dead corpses showed up because of this one angel. That's really exciting. Angels have such great power. One of the angels came and moved the rock that the Jews had sealed the tomb of Jesus with. Moved it to the side. Caused an earthquake. Terrified the men who were guarding the tomb of Jesus. They were afraid that some of the disciples would come and steal the body of Jesus away and then say he's been resurrected from the dead. So they set a watch. They sealed the tomb of Jesus with a big boulder. One angel, that's all it takes. Such great power to defeat their plans. We can rejoice in this. This is our God. This is our God who does this. Learn to rejoice in the judgments of God. Why do you want to rejoice in the wicked? That will destroy you along with the wicked. Why do you want to rejoice in some wicked pastor that's calling himself reverend when nothing in the Bible calls any man reverend in the Old or New Testament? Why do you want to rejoice with the wicked? Instead, rejoice with the righteous because that puts you on God's side. Rejoice with the judgments of God. For they are just. God doesn't judge like we judge. He's not weak like we are. We let our flesh get in the way and think, oh, per person, oh, he didn't mean to do that. See, we put ourselves on the wrong side by siding with the wicked in the churches. In closing, let me give you one more story that happened This happened to a woman in our little church group. She has always had very strange ways of following God. She's no longer with us. She was with us for 39 years. In one of our last encounters with her, this happened in March or April of of the year, and she told us, God had said to her, now is the time to get a dog. Well, of course, we were rejoiced. I love animals, and so does Pam. We rejoiced, and we thought how much this would help this woman. Then she revealed to us, she heard this word the previous November. And this is April or May, when she reveals it to us, and she doesn't have a dog. The word she said she heard from God is now is the time to get a dog. To me, now means now. But she didn't do that. She had to get the perfect dog. So months passed before she actually got the dog. I think it was June or so before she made her decision and got this dog, bought the dog, and had it shipped in to Lubbock, Texas, where we lived. She told me the plan that there is a man that would bring the dog. He was a dog carrier, and when they sold these dogs, he took them to the city where the buyer lived and delivered the dog. So he was coming in on a plane to Lubbock around midnight, and she was going to go out to the airport in Lubbock around midnight to get the dog. 
I, I was really disturbed by this plan. This woman couldn't even find her way around Lubbock in the daytime without getting lost. She had no sense of direction. And here she's going to go at midnight to the airport in Lubbock. The airport is about 15 miles north of Lubbock, and it's off on country roads. I, I was really fearful about this plan, fearful for her, for her life. What could happen to her in the middle of the night out on this country road? So I turned to God in prayer, and I said, I'm very concerned about this. And I received a plan from God. And it was so simple. Here was the plan. Have one of the chauffeur-driven car services in Lubbock pick her up and take her to the airport. That way she won't have to park her car and walk to the terminal. She won't get lost. They know what they're doing. The chauffeur-driven car will pick her up at her house, take her to the airport, wait for her in front of the terminal. I was so happy when that plan was revealed to me. I shared it with her, and she was happy over the plan. It only cost, I think, about maybe $30, $40 to do this in Lubbock, Texas. So it was so reasonable. It eliminated the danger, in my view, and would be so much easier for her to be taken to the front of the terminal and pick up this dog. So it was settled, and she was happy. A few days later, she changed the plan, and she told me, I can drive myself to the airport, but what I've done is I have arranged for a chauffeur-driven limousine. She said, I will take this man to his hotel and leave him at his hotel, and the next morning a chauffeur-driven limousine will come and pick him up and take him back to the airport. This is an adult-age man who is accustomed to transporting animals to different places. An adult-aged man. So she has changed the plan. I was livid, really livid. But the time I finished talking to her, she decided to return to the original plan and have the chauffeur-driven limousine pick her up to go get the dog. That's how twisted this woman got. She could not follow instructions, even the simplest instructions. She could not follow She did go by the original plan. I said, this man is an adult-aged man who, for a, a business, takes pets all over the United States and delivers them. He is going to stay in a hotel. Surely he can get to the airport from the hotel. They probably have their own limousines that take people to the airport. Well, she did what I told her to do. Later, I had an accident and was in the hospital and had had surgery. As I was lying in bed and I was being given narcotics for the pain, I saw this same woman standing at the foot of my bed. She was wearing a bright red shirt and staring at me. She was just staring at me. She didn't say a word. She stared at me for a while, and then she turned her back on me and walked through the wall. I thought I was having a drug-induced vision. I was placed in a rehab hospital after the regular hospital. This woman came to me at the rehab hospital and she said, I don't care about anything anymore. I don't care about the Bible. 
I don't care about the blog. I don't care about anyone anymore. I said to her, oh, but if you go this way, what will happen to you? She said, I do not want to talk to you about this. She kind of snuck into the bathroom there in my room. A nurse's aide came in to do something with me, and I called out to this woman, and I said, wait until the nurse is gone. Don't leave until the nurse is gone. While the nurse was doing whatever she was doing with me, this woman snuck out of my room and disappeared. Then I realized the vision I had of her turning her back to me and walking through the wall and disappearing was not a drug-induced vision, but was truly a vision from God. For that's exactly what this woman did. A few weeks later, this woman apologized and said she showed no mercy at all toward me. I was totally helpless there in the rehab center. I had broken hip and a broken arm and uh, wrist, and I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't get to the bathroom. I couldn't do anything. And she apologized, and I said, Oh, please don't worry about this. For 39 years, you've been a problem to me. And it was a great relief when you disappeared, when you left. And it was. She'd been nothing but trouble for 49 years. One time she asked me to go to a lighting store. She moved to Lubbock because I lived in Lubbock, and I don't know what her thinking was. I certainly was surprised when she moved there. But she moved to Lubbock. I suppose, theoretically, to help me. But we, she wanted me to meet her at a lighting store to buy a light fixture for her dining room at the house she had purchased. So I drove to the lighting store, and I said to God, Oh, please help us find this quickly so we don't have to go all over town. We got to the lighting store. We entered the lighting store, and immediately I saw a light fixture which I thought would work in her dining room. But I didn't say anything because I wanted her to find her own lighting fixture. She looked around the store and I just sat there at the counter in some chairs they had and waited for her. When she finished looking around, she came to me and I said, well, did you find anything you like? And she said, no, no, I didn't. And I said... Well, that lighting fixture would work. And I pointed to it, and she turned around and said, Oh, I like that. So she bought it. Later, I asked her, I said, Did you pray before we went to that lighting store? Did you pray concerning which lighting fixture to buy? She said, No, because I knew you would. That was her pattern in life. Well, She's not with us anymore. I personally hope things go well for her. She is so horribly mixed up. I recommended she go to a medical doctor because she couldn't keep facts straight. And I said, something must be wrong with you, with your mind. But she's not with us anymore. You see, you just can't handle instructions from God that way. Now, these Old Testament examples should show us this is not the way you deal with something when a word from God is delivered to you. You don't deal this way. Twice in this dog situation, she showed that she didn't follow the word of God. Once, when she received the word of God herself, now is the time to get a dog, and she didn't do it. And the second time, when I delivered the word of God to her to get a chauffeur-driven car to take her to the airport to pick up the dog, and she twisted that. She couldn't keep things straight. There is a scripture in Romans 1 where God will give a person over to a reprobate mind. And I think 
I've seen that with another person who was among us who ended up attacking me with her words. It is in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't hold on to the word of God. They didn't hold on to the instructions. They didn't hold on to the full instructions. God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I've seen it, I believe, twice at least in our own church group. And in both cases, the women who did these things had been in our group for 39 years. Hearing all the messages that I spoke for 39 years. It's very sad. But I'm telling you that God is totally different from this image that many people have of God. When they say, oh, my God would never do that. Well, I know they don't know the God of the Bible when they say that to me. I have written all of these scriptures out for you on our blog if you will go to Jesus Ministries Exhortation on the right-hand side of the blog, you'll see podcast. You can click on that. You can pull up this recording and all the scriptures that I have spoken today. You can see the scriptures for yourself. I think that's so important to do that. Again, the name of our blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. This is Joan Boney speaking and I don't I do want to thank you for letting me speak to you today.